Let's just pray for a moment as we have heard the scriptures and it's my privilege to conclude the series from Joyful Living from Philippians 4. Jesus, your word sheds light. It inspires our path. It nourishes our spirit because it teaches us truth. And it impels, compels, encourages us, sets before us the way to live. May you help both me as I speak and my sisters and brothers, friends, as they listen and watch. Yours be the glory. Amen. And so today is the end of our series from Paul's epistle, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. It's been the series we've entitled Joyful Living and has been such a privilege to preach. Philippians is such a wonderful four chapters, full of insights, full of profound truth that stirs the soul and lifts us up and, and opens a greater understanding about who God is, of the wonder of his son and what he is doing at work is in us and through us and in his church and in the world through his spirit. We hope that it's encouraged you that the messages are all uh, online on YouTube, some of them, but also on SoundCloud under Camden Baptist Church if you want to re-listen or revisit any of our messages. And in many ways, we hope that you would continue to dwell with Philippians, to keep reading, to keep learning, to keep taking on board these wonderful inspirations, this wonderful truth. And so at the end of, uh, of Paul's letter to the churches, to the sisters and brothers, his friends, his co-laborers, his companions, brothers and sisters, he has some concluding remarks. We've heard them from verse uh, 10 all the way through to verse 23 of chapter 4. I've called this message faithful living, but with four Subtext: Faithful learning, faithful trust, faithful giving, and faithful team. All of this stems from the ground. All of this stems from that which he has spoken of, front and center about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who made himself nothing, took the very humble nature of a servant, being crucified to death, and therefore God exalted him. It's all about our belonging to God and our citizenship, our place in him, in God, through the work uh, that he has accomplished in his son, Jesus. And therefore, and so because of, in light of, in view of, in expression and understanding, now we live out. Last week we heard from uh, Philip about, about rejoicing in the Lord and, and, and of, of, of dwelling on that which is true and noble and right and what is pure. And so we come to the concluding remarks. And, and again, it starts with this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. But before that, faithful learning. Paul writes in verses 11 to 13, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Part of the journey of discipleship, in fact, all of the journey of discipleship, is following Jesus. By the lake, when he called, 
those first disciples, come follow me. And they did. They spent time with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They listened to Jesus. They saw Jesus in public and in private. And Jesus worked out that call, follow me, as they saw what he did and were encouraged by him to do likewise. As they saw his attitude to brokenness, as he saw his attitude to pride and religious spirit, as they saw Jesus' attitude of putting first the kingdom of God, of living for the plans and purposes of God, follow me. The disciples learned from Jesus and followed. And in many ways, Paul, through this, this letter in Philippines, has encouraged the disciples to do just that. They weren't in that wonderfully privileged place as those first disciples and the apostles were. Paul wasn't one of them, remember. But they, they got to hang out with Jesus for at least three years and learn from the master and their great friend and king. Paul learned a different way. He had to rely on Jesus' spirit. Of course, he was able to interact and encounter and talk with those apostles who were with Jesus. But for the Philippians, another degree of separation from Jesus, so to speak, in that they weren't dwellers in Judea and in Palestine. And yet, he's told them, follow my example. If you've seen in me anything that is worthy emulate that, copy that, imitate me. Behind all that is this call for us as disciples to be learning bit by bit. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, when the, rain shine, when the sun shines or the rain falls, when it's a time of ease and plenty or of hardship. I have learned to be content, bit by bit, test by test, circumstance by circumstance, indeed trial by trial, faithful learning. Philip and I have been praying throughout this series that Philippians, and indeed every week that we preach, the Lord would speak and inspire the next step of faith that he calls each one of us to, and us as a church together, faithful learning. That we're not yet perfected in terms of, uh, of becoming Christ-like in every way. Of course we are made perfect in Christ through his atonement and the cross, that we are now in him, that we are born again. Absolutely, we are new creations. But also that we are contending to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Faithful learning. And at the heart of the essence of this is beginning to realize that in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, God is entirely trustworthy. He's entirely dependable. And he is of greater value than anything and everything else. That's a huge thing to grasp. But is one of the foundation stones of Christian learning. Come follow me. Leave your old life, set out on this adventure. Learn from Jesus, learn from the stories of scripture, learn from sisters and brothers around us of what it means in our youth, in our 20s, in marriage, 
in unemployment, in pandemics, in times of trial and times of celebration. Faithful learning. Dwell upon what Paul has typified. Read his story in Acts that he's dead set about Jesus. Rightly so. And urges us and encourages to take the next step. Faithful learning. Very closely linked to this is, is that of faithful trust. The reason Paul is confident to be content in, ever circ- in whatever circumstance, in need or in plenty, in sorrow, in enjoy, to, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who weep, is that he has learned that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is entirely trustworthy. He'd learned to trust. He'd learned the truth of that wonderful phrase in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, what we need for today, for right now, as, as Philip preached on last week about worry, and it doesn't really add, it doesn't help that we can look ahead to tomorrow and think, what am I going to do? Actually, when we trust in today, we discover again and again, he is trustworthy, faithfully trusting. It's called, it, we see this uh, glimmered uh, and expressed in verse 19. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, because we live in a, in a society where we consume things and, and we're, we're very physical and, and, and those things obviously matter, we can get caught up with the meeting all your needs what are my needs? Are they, are, are they being met? And, and of course, God meets them. Jesus teaches us, you know, look at the, 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 the flowers in the field. Uh, where do they get clothed? Or uh, where is the food coming from for these creatures that we know not of? God provides. Sometimes there are trials. Sometimes there are hardships. And it can seem like, well, my needs aren't being met. We know there are Christians in poverty and hungry, and for want of medicine. I'll come on to something in a moment that may spur us in response to that reality. We can take this text and spin it into something that is really unhelpful, often talked about the prosperity gospel, where, well, if we just have enough faith, if we name it or claim it, or if, we, uh, you know, if we're truly believers or we, we give enough or we, we, we follow the right pattern, then, then God will release abundant blessing and we shall not be in want. That's a distortion of this. My God will meet all your needs. Absolutely. Paul has discovered that. In hardship, in suffering, in sometimes in chains, he is content, even though his freedom is curtailed. I think the greater emphasis here of faithful trust is this little phrase, in Christ Jesus. Throughout my Christian journey, when I first became a believer in 1991, and all the way since then in learning, faithful learning, I'm learning to trust him. 
in Christ. I'm learning what that means to be in Christ, to look and dwell upon the cross of the Savior who substituted himself, who is my atonement. Through, through that, that uh, crucifixion unto death opens freedom and peace and fullness and the kingdom is coming and he will return. In him I am blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In him. amazing truth. Paul has discovered this and in these closing words to the Philippians we don't know what else he communicated to them but when we trust and rely and depend solely on the atonement upon Jesus Christ and all of his saving work for Paul and for us he then meets all our needs physical and spiritual, contemporary and eternal. Faithful living through faithful learning, faithful trust, but also in faithful giving. It's one of those topics that we preach on and teach about when it crops up in Scripture, but we don't want to be a church who just bangs on about give, give, give. But here, Paul is responding to the Philippians' generosity. Money is one of those topics in Christian world that has been abused, that has uh, still in, in various aspects of the, the Christian world can be a little bit, or can be more than just a bit embarrassing, can be like, what are they doing? But the opposite is also true. If we don't speak about money and giving and generosity from time to time, we're neglecting some of the things that are actually really foundational to our discipleship, to this Christian faithful learning and trusting. I don't know if you remember a, a, a gentleman called Ross Perot. He was around in American politics. He was a billionaire and stood as a, a presidential candidate. And he wrote this in Fortune, ironically, magazine from America. He said, guys, just remember, if you get lucky... If you make a lot of money, if you get out and buy a lot of stuff, it's going to break. You've got your biggest, fanciest mansion in the world. It's got air conditioning. It's got a pool. Just think of all the pumps that are going to go out or go to a yacht basin, any place in the world. Nobody's smiling. And I'll tell you why. Something broke that morning. The generator's out. The microwave oven doesn't work. Things just don't mean happiness. I know he, not really many of us can understand about yacht basins and, uh, and uh, massive mansions and pools and pumps. But he's driving at something that if our trust is in stuff, things, material, the love of money, it actually becomes a vicious cycle and trap because we either want more and think we haven't got enough or it begins to control. I read a long time ago uh, from a, a youth author called Mal Fletcher. He wrote this. He grew up as a, um, in the Christian world, but a kind of different view of money within the Christian world. He says this. You see, when I was a kid, and he's talking about mission and, and missionaries. He says, when I was a kid, missionaries were considered really uncool. 
They came to your church once a year, dressed in bizarre clothes, very bad for the image, and showed slides of the Congo for at least an hour at a time. These were the people to whom some church folks mailed their used tea bags. Each Christmas, we collected all our unwanted toys and sent them to the missionaries' children. Every year, they received their Christmas parcels full of cars without wheels and dolls without heads. In church, there can also be this, this poverty spirit that we can assume we're being generous and kind. I mean, who'd want to receive a used tea bag in the mail and see it as a gift? For Paul, he wanted to thank the church in Philippi, his sisters and brothers, because they had contributed. Through Epaphroditus, they'd sent a gift. They'd heard of Paul's need in prison, that they, they recognized that he was struggling, that maybe he hadn't got enough food, that he was not free to make tents, as he was a tent maker, that, that maybe his income had dried up and times were hard and they were responding out of love and compassion and concern and wanted to make sure Paul was provided for, but also the mission of God would continue. Here's something that is true. One Christian has enough because another Christian is generous. Now, of course, God meets all our needs. We've, we've heard of that through the riches of God's glory. But we also see in this section the really strong truth that faithful living is faithful giving too. What do I mean? The Philippians, in recognizing that they were called together in Jesus Christ, in him, and Paul was a co-laborer, they were his friends, and the gospel is more important than anything else, committed their resources to supporting the mission of God through his people. Through these last months of, of pandemic and trial in our church and our world, Philip and I and the leadership are so thankful to our church family here, for their generosity. Not just this year, but ongoing. We're so thankful and we seek to steward that as wisely and carefully and courageously and faithfully as possible. Thank you for giving to the church month by month, week by week, faithfully, generously. It makes such a difference. It enables us together to serve for Philip and I, for Verity and Tim, who are kind of employed, so to speak, by the church to serve. We're so thankful for that. But also uh, the giving, the generosity of God's people, not only for Paul and the church in Philippi, but for us and here and now, not only supports and resources the mission of God through what we are doing in Chipping Camden and the North Cotswolds, but far, far wider. As I was reflecting upon that this week, I'm really aware of, our, of the privilege of being partnered with Open Doors and supporting them financially that, that is enabled by our generosity. That we've been able to stand with sisters and brothers, especially in these COVID months. Open Doors on their website record this in southern Kaduna in Nigeria, Nigeria being ninth on the world watch list. Families from several villages said they received one-sixth less of the rations allocated to Muslim families in the same community. 
We were happy when the government announced food aid for the poor, said Rose, whose pastor, uh, and it was, her husband was a pastor who was killed by Fulani militants. She said, but we were left out. We received none of that food. Elsewhere, in places like Sudan or Myanmar or Vietnam or Bangladesh, or even Nepal and across Central Asia and North Africa. Christians in rural areas have been denied aid again and again because of their faith in Jesus. Our sisters and brothers, sometimes this has been by government officials, but often by village heads and communities and those local power brokers. Open Doors have had reports of food ration cards being torn up and thrown away because people follow Jesus. As a church, we're able to support Open Doors and support our sisters and brothers around the world. And thank you for generous giving that has enabled us as a church to continue to support uh, Dave in Papua New Guinea. Dave and the team have been able to re, uh, re-enter Papua New Guinea following the permission granted and the invitation from the government there for the ship and the team that he's working with, working hard to catch up with TB inoculation and treatment across Papua New Guinea, to provide basic health care, particularly to the rural poor who have no access to medical care. I'm really thankful for the church's generosity in continuing to support our friends and partners in India through Agape Alive, sisters and brothers. We've been able, as a charity and through the gifts that we've come from this church, to support widows who are employed within the projects, who otherwise would have no source of income, not only providing for them directly, but their children and wider families. That we've been able to continue to employ the teachers at the school, even though the school hasn't met for months because of pandemic lockdown. Yet we've been able to provide their salaries. There's no furlough scheme in India but again, through the generosity of God's people, we've been able to support people in times of trial. God has provided for all their needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We've been able to provide food support, food packages of rice and lentils, of, of oil, of spices, of what is really foundation, vegetables, to support living when otherwise there would have been starvation. Not only to the church community and day laborers who've had no work for so long, but also to those in the community around who are desperate. One of the quotes we heard back was was from people from other faiths who wouldn't have normally set foot upon the grounds where the church is sited. They've said, our temples, our mosques haven't helped us at all, but you thank you for helping us help them for our projects and friends in uh, in partners in in romania with ecce homo continuing to work with the marginalized and the poor the elderly and the forgotten those when things are difficult who are always first on the cutting edge of pain and struggle It's not just overseas, but locally. We're so glad for what the Lord is calling us to. And thank you for your commitment to continuing to support and resource and enable the kingdom to come. 
As, as you know, as you've heard, but we don't often get to speak about in our Sunday services, what the Lord is doing in Stowe, of pioneering mission, of Joy and her community listener role. She's been there two years, and we're so encouraged to hear of the kingdom advance that is happening, of Joy's recognising that a food bank would really help the community around Stowe and in the neighbourhood, and she's pioneered that and gathered together a group of people who now open a food bank weekly, of Joy engaging and witnessing and of, engage, uh, of getting involved in the local primary school in other ways, of loving, of serving, of befriending, we know we're following the Lord's prompting because we know the Lord has a heart for stone that together we're making that happen. And thanks too for this year. As we recognise that the manse where Philip and Hermie live, the need to repair and renovate certain aspects of the manse to change the leaky, drafty windows which were causing the, the fabric of the house to deteriorate, to deal with damp from the cellar and rotten skirting boards and a fallen down wall by the car park. Kind of mundane in one sense. But thank you for graciously providing to provide a home that is warm and dry for Philip and Hermie, and to be weatherproofed and restored, and to bless Philip and Hermie and his family. Thank you. I could go on. There are all sorts of ways that your generous giving is making a difference, of all that it's meaning, and the ways that it's enabling us as a family, as a church, Chipping Camden Baptist Church, to continue the mission of Jesus here in our community, in this world. Just like the Philippians. Thank you. You see, a generous spirit is an attitude that is truly a Christian spirit or attitude. What do I mean? When we conceive of God, he is so many things, holy and awesome and almighty and loving but he's also generous and giving. He gives us his son. He gives us his spirit. He gives us, as we trust in his son Jesus, the gift of eternal life, that he blesses us again and again. He is entirely generous and giving. And so Paul reflects on that with the church in Philippi. In verse 18, he says that the gift that has been sent, he, he says, it's, it's, uh, he says uh, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That's kind of Old Testament language of the fragrant offering and of the sacrifice, but pleasing. The first time that that's mentioned is in, in Noah after the flood. And Noah brings a burnt offering, Genesis 8, 21. It says, when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. The burnt offering expresses Noah's obedient consecration to God and God delights in his people and dedicates himself to God. 
You see, what Paul is driving at and recognise in faithful giving is that when Christians, when we take note of needs and generously sacrifice to meet them, God delights in accepting them. We love to please God, don't we, when we sing songs and read the Bible and, and share about the name of Jesus and care for the poor. And faithful giving pleases God. Paul is so thankful. He recognises their aid to Paul demonstrates their partnership with him in the work of the gospel. And listen to this, shows that they are progressing in Christian living and learning as they move forward in Christ. Think about that. They tell us that our financial support for the things of the kingdom and the local church's mission is at least as important for our own spiritual development as for any good that it might be done to those to whom we give. Of course, the, gift, the gifts that we make help ministry, help our church. But they also help us because it's us growing. It's us responding to the gracious, generous heart of God in trusting him in living for him, in being faithful for him, that we grow. Isn't that amazing? Paul is thankful and recognises that he is blessed by them. And finally, I just want to touch upon, as I've touched upon faithful living and faithful trust, faithful giving, faithful team. We've seen that lived out so much in the last few weeks of our England football team. And the emphasis is on team. From Gareth Southgate as the manager and coach to all the players. It's not just about the one or two celebrities who are named and, and put on those football cards and, and kind of their faces everywhere. One of the things that struck me as a kind of looking in on the football world really is that the team have played as a team at the very close of paul's letter greet all god's people in christ jesus the brothers and sisters who are with me send greeting all god's people here send you greetings especially those who belong to caesar's household it's just worth catching the nuance of what he's saying all and saints are actually emphasising the, the individual here. A better translation, perhaps, or a more nuanced one would say, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Or, as one commentator says, give my greetings to each member of God's people in Christ Jesus. We love gathering back together now that we're able to, and hopefully very soon, without restriction on numbers. You are missed because you are part of our family. And we want to greet you because you matter. You are part of us. And when you're not visible part, I know you've been joining online and that's fantastic. But there's something about togetherness because we want to greet you because Christ is in you and we are the body of Christ together. He's reminding them 
that as he is in prison, there are believers, sisters and brothers in Caesar's household, even in that which seems the most, the, the biggest enemy, the opposition, Caesar, Rome, the power center, those who are beginning to become harsher and harsher about the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet even there, there are believers. Wherever there are despotic regimes and it seems the darkest, we can trust the Lord is at work and there are probably secret believers. We know not of, but we pray for them. Faithful team. Paul loves the church in Philippi. He's so thankful for them and their heart for the Lord in their faithful living. Philip and I are so thankful for this community of faith and our response to him in all that we're doing as we regather, as we process, as we come to terms with the last 18 months. Know that you're a faithful team and the Lord is at work in us. And in the words as Paul closes his letter, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit. Amen.